All right, folks, why don't we start heading back to our seats, and as I do each week, let me invite you to continue these conversations after service, during our coffee hour. Hopefully, you can stick around. We'd love to connect with you, and hopefully, uh, you're able to reconnect with old friends as well as meet some new folks as well. But this morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, and we have a very long passage written out for us here in the bulletin. But I've asked Chelsea, uh, who's going to be our reader, to read just the parable of the persistent widow, which is from verse 1 of chapter 18 on. A reading from Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he not? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you that you're a God who is full of compassion and mercy and patience and justice. And this morning, we also know you're a God who delights to connect personally with his people. And we ask that you would meet us here. Meet us here in your word. Because we need to know you more than anything else. We have no business hearing from me, but what we need more than anything else is we need to hear from you. And give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, last week we looked at the parable, uh, not the parable, the uh, ten lepers. uh, The ten lepers who learned about gratitude and what gratitude was about as they experienced the healing of Jesus, and we considered that topic. And this morning, we're going to look at this parable of the persistent widow. And it's always helpful when the Bible actually tells you what the parable is all about. And in verse 1 of chapter 18, it actually says the parable is about a faith that endures, because it tells us the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's what this parable is all about. A faith that doesn't fade, something that remains durable, something that endures. And the reason Jesus is telling this parable is because discouragement, doubt, feeling like you want to throw in the towel on Christian life is something we probably all felt. And we've asked ourselves, is it worth holding on to the promises of Jesus? That's probably a question we've asked multiple times in our lives. Others of you are asking for the first time, is it worth even giving myself to the claims of Jesus? I've been in conversations with some of you who are realizing, man, the demand that Jesus has means that I have to be all in or all out and there's nothing in between. And you're wondering, what do I do? And perhaps you're here this morning and you're feeling that. Um, And you're feeling a variety of things around the cost of following Jesus. And what he's telling us this morning in this parable is, consider this. 
that God himself is worth following, that he's utterly trustworthy, that persistence, endurance in our faith and in our relationship with him is actually something we want to follow through on. Now, look at this parable. Um, you know, you, at this first glance, you do a quick read, and you might get the impression the point of the parable is this, that if we are just persistent like this widow and put a lot of pressure on God, you know what I'm saying? He's going to answer us. The reason God has not answered my prayers is because I have not been persistent in prayer like the widow in the parable. And perhaps you've thought that, and it's, you read over it quickly, and that's the impression you may get. But I want us to look at it a little deeper, because I think once you dig into it, there's a whole lot going on here, because I learned a ton this week as I was studying and reflecting on this passage. But look at who she is and what she does. Think of who a widow is in Jesus' day, a most vulnerable person, a someone without a voice. She is powerless. And likely she is in some kind of situation as someone is taking advantage of her, likely economically. No one is there to advocate for her. But this woman, she is tenacious in seeking justice. I mean, she really made herself unforgettable to this terrible judge. Because he could not shake her. There she is, morning, noon, and night, texting him leaving him messages at the office saying she needs to meet with him. He goes into a coffee shop. He comes out. There she is waiting for him saying, I just need a minute of your time. And she pleads her case. He's headed to the courtroom and there she is again by the door. And in the end, he gives in to her persistence because she kept asking, knocking, requesting, and he finally hears her out just to get her off his back. And the point of the parable is, what? That we need to pester God until he gives us what we want? I, because we haven't been pressuring God enough? The answer is no, that's not what it's about. And maybe we begin here, what is this parable not about? It's not about how to get God to answer our own, our own personal prayer requests. Rather, it is about the people of God who have been crying out in their suffering for justice, justice and in it remaining faithful in an unjust world, trusting in him. This parable is not telling us we just need to pray more and pray constantly in general, although that is true, but that's not the point of the parable. It's about persistence and believing and having faith. Prayer is one facet of that. It's not about a God who is reluctant, who needs to be cajoled and manipulated. But the passage tells us that God is responsive. Our God is one who actually cares, who hears the cries of his people. It's not even about our disappointment with God over all of his apparent delays or indifference to us, what it feels like anyway. But it is about God's concern that we will want to throw in the towel. That adversity would overtake us. Because it's hard to trust in God when it's really challenging in the midst of all sorts of tragedies. So Jesus tells this parable in the context of a few passages and verses prior to this 
So the first thing I want us to see as we jump into all of this is I think the passage is trying to tell us, here's what you need to do, and this is how you wait for God's kingdom. This is how you wait for God's kingdom. And where did we get this? Notice verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 begins with, And he told them a parable, which indicates this is a continuation of the previous section. This is where chapter divisions aren't very helpful. By the way, if you're new to Christianity, just know chapter divisions, headings, verse numbers, they're not part of the original text. They were added in much later for easy reference. And usually those things are very helpful, but the chapter divisions in this instance isn't. Because it is clear this parable is meant to be understood as part of the prior section, which is why I have it in the bulletin. Because if you go back to the uh, chapter 17, verse 20 here, you see what? The Pharisees are asking Jesus about when the kingdom of God would come. And this makes sense because Jesus is always talking about the kingdom. He's referring to it. And they're saying, give us some signs. Help us to understand how do we parse this out? How do we understand when this is going to happen? What are the observable signs, the data, so that we can predict when you're going to return or when the kingdom shows up? And Jesus says in verse 21, you know, the kingdom of God is actually in your midst. And his point is, I am here. I'm the king that brings the kingdom. You're missing all of the signs already, looking for the wrong signs. That's your problem. Back in Luke 4, Jesus preached his first sermon, which he gave clues about who he is, what he's going to do. Then we see the miracles, the teaching, the prediction of what's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's all there before them. The kingdom is already here in one sense in the person of Jesus, and he's inaugurating it. And then he turns around and he starts to talk to the disciples, if you notice in verse 22, who are listening to all of this. And he tells them, you know, there will be days when you wish the kingdom of God is here in its fullness and you're going to look for it and chase after signs and rumors just like these Pharisees are. And he says in verse 25, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And he's saying, don't get ahead of yourselves. We haven't even gotten to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and be rejected. That is my, how my kingdom is going to be inaugurated in weakness, in suffering, through the cross. It is what one of the theologians describes as the magnificent defeat. Jesus' death and resurrection is the event that will change all of history. And he promises that he will return one day and bring this kingdom into full consummation. And we now live in this time of waiting for his return. And Jesus begins to describe what it will be like at the end of history when he finally returns and makes all things new. The end of the story, human history, the history of the universe. And look at verse 26 and 27 And see how Jesus describes it. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven 
and destroy them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, here's what I want us to focus on just for a minute. What are the chief characteristics of those days of Noah and of Lot? And when Christ returns in glory, what are people going to be focused on, Jesus is saying? He's saying they're going to be focused on external things. People are going to be going about their lives, eating, drinking, having, having a lot of fun, working, building things, getting married, starting a family, raising their children. Notice none of these things are bad things or evil things. That's not what Jesus is criticizing here. These are activities that God expects his people to be engaged in. Things you and I do every single day. But the point Jesus is making, there is a preoccupation with life in this world in such a way that God is forgotten altogether. That God is forgotten altogether. Can you see how this happens? You know, we go to work, we go to school, we're busy trying to find love. We're busy trying to discover the next best restaurant or the coffee shop. We're busy shuttling our kids to school or activities. We're busy going on vacations, enjoying all the beautiful things that God has created that the world offers. And somehow, all of that consumes us. We get to the end of our day, end of the week, end of the month, and we haven't thought about God or his purpose for us at all. You see, that, that's what Jesus is saying. There is this preoccupation with everything else and an apathy toward God and his purpose, which becomes very normative in us. And he's saying, what is the temptation of God's people in these days? Just to go along with what everyone else seems to be doing. And your attention drifts and the passion that maybe for some of you, you felt when you first fell in love with Jesus. You know, you, there was this amazing thing that takes place where things like his word, the church, those things became important to you. And it just filled your hearts in such a way. And Jesus, saying, Jesus is essentially saying, remember that? You were hungry to worship. You looked forward to studying the Bible. All of it just came alive to you. And you knew God was speaking to you and you actually found joy in praying to be with God's people. And all this reference about Noah, he was the only one paying attention to God in those days. Everyone just went on with their lives until the day the rain started, and it did not stop for a long time. This is the context of the parable of the persistent widow. And this is why the parable concludes in verse 8, with what? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So that's, that's the question. When Jesus returns, will he find an enduring faith, a faith marked by persistence and con continual durability and connection to him? And this is... If, if you start reading through the Bible, it's kind of interesting that all of the chapters, all of the speeches Jesus gives about the end, apocalyptic chapters, Mark 13, it's the same thing here. In all of these teachings, 
He looks to the future and he sees much suffering for his people, his church. He says there's going to be false teachers, distractions, and all of this stuff. And listen to what he says in Mark 13 and 32 and following. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. This is something for us to reflect on for those of you who consider yourselves followers of Jesus. He's asking us, where are you most preoccupied in your life? What are the things that capture your mind, your imagination? Is it God, the gospel, what he's done for us, the mission he's called us out to? Have you thought about how those things fit into your life, how you can serve? Or are we so preoccupied about what we need to achieve in our own personal life goals and dreams that Jesus and his kingdom is squeezed out? out see this is the crucial question you know just as the people of god are to rejoice always and live a life full of gratitude rather than be filled with grumbling we're to stay awake remain faithful and persistent and when jesus returns we want him to find us awake and not asleep he wants to see faith in you That's the conclusion of the parable. You know, that is the persistence of the widow. She remained faithful, persistent to the things of God. That's how we are to wait for his kingdom. And the way we're going to be able to do this is actually focusing on the character of God. Because I think that's what this parable is trying to get us to, a focus on the character of God. Because in this parable of the persistent widow, you have this unjust judge who is contrasted with God. We are told this judge, he neither fears God nor respects anybody. He's really open about this, really callous. He doesn't care what he thinks of, uh, what people think of him. He probably doesn't care what he thinks of himself. All he wants to do is, I want to do what I want to do. He doesn't care. And he is one of these people, he's not trying to hide any of this. It's just all there out for display. And this is a character that's very familiar in the ancient world. Unjust judges were rather common, you know? He represents the natural order in the fallen world without morals, without justice, where bribery, corruption are the rule, not the exception. And you notice how this widow wins her case? I mean, she's so smart. She does it by playing upon his character. Did you notice this? She doesn't go to him saying, you're a righteous person. You know what she does? She knows he is unrighteous, that he's selfish, and he will only do things because it is convenient for him and beneficial for him, not about doing what is right or just. So that's why he gets another message from his assistant, that widow is here to see you again. And in the end, he says, okay, you win. I'll give you the justice you seek. Will you now just leave me alone? You see how her approach is? It's about she she knows who he is. And Jesus says, is God like this? And obviously, the answer is no. 
And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I mean, this terrible judge, he is being true to his character. He is selfish, and he responds to her pestering because he's a selfish person. And the contrast is, will not God give justice to his elect who cries to him day and night? Will he not do this? Because he is a God who is just. God is true to his character. That's why he is holy. He's just. He's compassionate. I mean, all of these things about who God is, he delights to hear the cries of his people and he acts. All of these things Jesus is saying is true about God and this is why you can remain in a place where you cling to him by faith. Even when you want to throw in the towel because you don't know if you can continue to trust in him because you don't feel like he's showing up, acting the way you need him to, responding the way he should for you. Why doesn't he set all these things right? Why do I have to experience chronic pain? Why is it that others seem to thrive and I'm languishing? You know, a common question we hear amongst ourselves. And in the midst of all of that, the Bible is saying you need to trust the character of God. Because these are questions that the people of God have been asking for thousands of years. The children of Israel have responded in similar ways. You know, uh, if you know the history of Israel, one of the terrible things that happened in their history is the people of God were taken into exile to Babylon for 70 years years. They wept. They suffered for 70 long years. And in Babylon, they couldn't really worship. They couldn't really sing. They had to put away all those instruments, all the articles of worship. And they weren't feeling very hopeful. And then suddenly, out of the blue, God rescues them. They're back in their homeland. And in that return, we get one of the most beautiful psalms we have in the Psalter, Psalm 126. And it goes like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And it ends with, he who goes out with weeping, Bearing the seeds for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The psalm is saying, you know, God is trustworthy even in the midst of your tears. And all the things you see, he's going to do it. And some of you are asking, well, I mean, people have been waiting 2,000 years for Jesus' return. It feels like he's a little slow in showing up here, okay? Okay. And maybe we can say, yeah, I I understand what you're saying. You know, we did read in 2 Peter 3, 9, there's a reason why, right? And during the assurance of pardon, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise that some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know why God's sometimes slow in bringing justice? Because he's waiting for repentance. Think about what happens when God acts. Think about the story of Noah. Think about the story in Lot's life. 
when he acts in perfect righteousness and justice, there is something kind of frightening about that whole thing. And I'm not saying this to try to scare you, but there is something definitive about his judgment. And it comes. It's swift. And once it comes, it is not slow. You know, it's not like one of these court cases where you get a verdict and you can go back and appeal and it takes like another 10 years to see the conclusion of it. No, when God judges, it comes. That's, that's what the passage is saying. And in Noah's day, when it started raining, you better have been on that ark because the judgment of God was there. That's the point of this. The only people who escaped judgment in Noah's days were those who took refuge in the ark. It is devastating. It is final. No wonder there's a delay element here in God's justice because it's hard for us to contemplate. And Jesus reminds us, as he did the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And when he tells the disciples the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Even in all of this, God is being true to his character because he is just, but he is also compassionate, slow to anger, desiring people to repent. So what does he do? He sends his one and only Son to take the judgment we deserve so that in the shadow of the cross, we can find refuge from the right judgment of God on that day when everything will be set right. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection tells us God is always true to his character and that he is compassionate, that he longs to see people come to faith, come to repentance. And this is a God Jesus is saying, we need to trust. My friends, um, you know, I actually told David earlier this week, I, I don't know if I want to talk about 9-11 at all, because this is a really touchy topic for me. I know some of you are probably in New York, uh, like I was, uh, when all of that happened. But one of the things about that, I, I've been trying really hard not to watch TV, not to watch all these like documentaries and all this stuff, I, I can close my eyes and I can remember what it smelled like. And I, I can remember what it's like to be a pastor doing a funeral for someone who died in the tower. I remember what it's like sitting at church thinking, God, Lord Jesus, bring justice. We need you to come. Crying out. And yet in the middle of that, reminding myself of something here, which is, you know what? God understands suffering. God understands loss. He knows what it's like to lose a son. He knows what it's like that justice has to come. Someone has to bear it. But he's, his heart breaks for his people. That he says, I don't want you to be swallowed up by my justice, so I'm going to provide a way. This is our God. And he's saying, you know what? You don't need to know every single detail of how this is going to end up on the last day. But what I want you to do is to trust me. Trust me. Now, if you ask me what I learned about God in that, that awful period 20 years ago, I think that's what I learned. 
that God is one who remains faithful. God is one who we can trust. God is one who has not abandoned us. And Jesus is saying, in the same way God has been true to his character and to us, he's saying, look to me. Look to God. Trust him. Endure. Give yourself to him. Don't let all of that be squeezed out by all the things we need to do because there's something that is crucial here, that God actually loves us and is a part of our lives. And he's saying, make sure this is something that doesn't fade. As a church, that's my hope for us, that as we live out life together, that we would encourage each other in this through our community groups, women's Bible studies, through our Grace Kids ministry, team ministry. I'm so excited about Grace Cares because we want our community those who believe and those who don't, to be able to experience the power of God's kindness and his compassion so that they can look to him and find life. And when I contemplate all of these things, I get excited and I hope you do too because these are the things we look to. These are the things we need. We need his spirit in order that our faith would endure. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we ask that this morning that you would give us your spirit in such a way that we would be able to trust you. Looking to who you are, your character, and the way that you provided salvation by the sending of your son, why would we look to anything else for life? Why would we think anything else could do what only you can do, Lord? Allow us to keep our eyes focused on you, all our eyes on you, in order that we would walk with you, that we would experience new life in you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.